Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. Dreams are weird, aren't they? You ever have weird dreams? Uh, Leslie's mom was in town at staying with our house, at our house with us for the last week. Really good time. Her dad and brother traveled out west to Wyoming on a hunting trip, and they were uh, hunting antelope and other game. Uh, and when they drove back on the way back to Ohio and stopped for the night at our place, they're they're telling us stories of the hunt, and uh, it just sounds like really good times. Um, it's also kind of like in this crosshairs where I know we're leading up to, this has the potential, this sermon, to be a, a sticky topic, especially as we jump into these, these two weeks where we're talking about uh, racial division and how we as a church could step into that and what God would call us as a church, how he would call us to respond. So I'll be honest and just tell you that it's been, it's been heavy on me. It's weighed heavy on me, and dreams are weird. So I had a couple of dreams uh, a couple nights ago. One was about, and I'll, I'll just be honest with you, one was about disappointing people, um, and the next was about somebody with a high-powered rifle trying to hunt me. Um, so I will not be dressing as an antelope for Halloween. Um, I will tell you that. Um, but I, because dreams are weird. We finished up uh, a series called Far Country. That is all about the idea that this world is not our home, that we are not to uh, kind of find our ultimate resting place, our ultimate security and comfort here, but we're to recognize, just like the verses that Leslie read this morning, recognize that we're actually citizens of a distant country, that God is calling us to set our sights on him. And when we recognize that, then we put ourselves in position to be able to ask and answer the question like, so what would God have us do? in the here and now? How would he have us follow him? What mission would he send us on? And so last week, we jumped into our mission series, four weeks on asking and trying to seek God for the answers to uh, what do you want us to do? Last week was just kind of this big, broad uh, umbrella kind of overarching, like let's look at the big picture coming out of Acts 1.8 when Jesus says... uh, if you want to be citizens in my country, I'm, I'm going to send you on this mission. He says, you'll receive power, being this is not all up something that we generate. This is something that the Holy Spirit does in and through and out of us, that we rely on him and we lean on him and we find our strength and our power in him. You'll receive power and you will be my witnesses. And we broke witnesses down real simply to saying, a witness is somebody who sees something happening and tells about it, right? Sees what God is doing, experiences God, and then is able to talk about it and share about it. But we broke talk down, tell down into two different, like we, we use our words and we use our life. We use our words and we use our actions. So we see what God is doing. We serve those around us that's telling with our actions. And then we share telling with our words what we've seen God doing. And then Jesus said, I want you to do it where you are, in Jerusalem. I want you to do it in the surrounding area, in like Judea and Samaria. And Samaria has this kind of cross-cultural, we're going to cross boundaries, cross borders uh, with people that may butt heads even sometimes. And there's not unity. And Jesus says, I, I don't care. I want you to still go. I want you to still walk into it 
even if it's hard, and maybe in spite of the fact that it's hard. And then he says, and I want you to do it to the end of the earth, like all the way around the world. And we talked just a little bit about what that could look like. So this morning, uh, as we talk about um, as we talk about Jesus' call, and what his gospel is all about, and how he would uh, call us to cross boundaries and cross borders, and especially in this area of racial division, I want to talk about um, a picture of the beginning and a picture of the end, and I want to talk about a broken in-between. Okay, We'll talk about the beginning and the end and the broken in-between. And we'll ask for humility along the way. Let's pray together um, and seek God this morning. Father, you are the gospel. In you, we have life. You're the creator of life. You are love itself and you are justice. And we call on you. I pray that you would continually be opening our eyes and our ears to see you and to hear from you in deeper ways and in ways that we never, we didn't even know we were missing. I pray for a spirit of humility in this place, that you would give that to me, that you would give that to us, that we would be people who could see and hear from you. Jesus, we invite you. We know you're here. We just ask that you'd help us to recognize you. We pray in your name. Amen. So the beginning and the end and the broken in between. In the beginning, God created, right? And it, it gets to the pinnacle, the zenith of creation. And he, he creates mankind. He creates humankind. He creates man and woman. And Genesis says he created them in his image. You know what that means? Every one of us here uh, in this room today, everyone who has ever existed, bears the image of God. That he created everyone in his image. That means everyone, everyone has equal value. Everyone has equal standing before God as each one of us bear his image. And then he says, I want you to be fruitful, and I want you to multiply. I want you to fill the earth. I want you to subdue it. And so he creates, uh, he creates people in his image, and then he gives us a job to do. And he says, I want you to spread out. I want you to fill the earth. Uh, subdue it is like take control. And you, you know a farmer has subdued the earth. They know how to work the soil. They know how to plant the seed. They know when to water. That's a farmer subduing the earth. And this is God's call that we would, that we would take charge as stewards of this place. And he gives us a role. And he says, I want you to spread out. So what does, what does it do if we take those two pictures that were created, everyone is created in God's image, and that God called us to spread out? We can come to a place where we recognize that God is the originator of diversity, right? Because when you have, when you have people moving to different parts of the world, they're going to adapt to that part of the world. 
if it's real hot, they're going to learn how to live there, and they're going to learn how to farm there, and they're going to learn how to survive there. And if it's real cold, they're going to they're going to adapt accordingly. And so you'll get people, and you'll start to form over time different cultures and differentness. And who is orchestrating that? Is diversity God-ordained? Yes. God says, I want you to be different. I'm creating you in my image, and I want you to move around the world, and I want you to be different. Does that mean I want you to be hostile with one another? No, he's not saying that at all. I just want you to recognize difference and that God is at God is doing something. Different places, different cultures, different people, different ways of life, all created in God's image, all meant to worship Him and live for Him. When we get to Genesis 11, and we see a little bit different picture. Rather than, rather than following God to say, fill the earth, people are clustering together. They say, we all want to be the same. We all want to be together. And you get the story of the Tower of Babel, and the Tower of Babel is this, a picture of what we can do when we say, let's just be uh, together and the same. Let's build a tower. And God says, no, I meant it. I want, I want you to fill the earth. I want you to spread out. And I want you to bring my glory to every corner of this world. And so we could look at the Tower of Babel as God striking people and kind of like being this violent God, or we could look at it actually as a gift of grace to remind us of the mission that he sent us on. To say, I want you to be a diverse people group, or diverse peoples all around the world. And so he scatters. And then in the very next chapter, Genesis 12, God calls Abraham and he said, you're going to be the father of many nations, right? Many different people groups. And uh, it will be a blessing. Your family, your heritage, you are called to be a blessing to all the different people groups. So that's a, that's a picture of the beginning. God creates in his image. It's diverse. It's beautiful. It's the way he meant it to be. We fight this. And God reminds us time and time again, sometimes forcefully, uh, and with power, but he reminds us, this is, this is how I plan things. Skip ahead to the end. What does heaven look like? Revelation 7 verse 9 gives this picture that God gives John, this image of what heaven looks like. And he says, after this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. It's a picture of an end when God brings all people groups to Him. Does that mean they all look the same? We're all wearing the same garment, though we may have different flares, right? We're all wearing... We're all dressed according to stand in front of God. And he says, I, I'm, I'm bringing everybody together in the end. So we have a picture at the beginning of God creating diversity and calling it beautiful. Of God saying, everyone is in my image. And we have a picture of the end where all people groups and all tribes and all tongues and all cultures bow before one God. 
and we live in a broken in-between. Do you recognize that? Do you see that? The world that we live in looks nowhere near what God started and nowhere near where he's taking us. So there's a tension. As his church, what do we do with that? What do we do with the fact that we, are, we live in a broken world, that we ourselves are broken? Beginning with the fall, all the way back in Genesis 3, where we turn away from God, the world has known brokenness. And it has affected everything. We have broken people, and we have broken families, and we have broken relationships, and we have broken systems, and we have broken governments, and we should not be surprised by brokenness. And we should be able to call things broken that are broken and not feel like an immediate defensiveness to defend, to say brokenness has affected everything. Can we just say that? And even our best attempts will fall short. Broken people create systems. They can't create unbroken things. That's just what we do. We are living in the broken in-between. And so did Jesus. Jesus came to the broken in-between. He came to save us from brokenness. And he came to change the story. And what I want to do today is I want to start, I want to start at the point where Jesus engages if we see a picture at the beginning and we see a picture at the end and we see that we are nowhere close to what that is, Jesus engages. And I want to take a look at how he engages and what he says. And I want to take a look at could, could we and should we model after his intent? So if you have a Bible and you want to open up to Luke 6, that's where we're going to look today. Right? I'm sorry, uh, Luke 4. Luke 4. This is uh, just a little bit of context. When Jesus uh, arrives, he, he grows up, and at the time when his ministry begins, John the Baptist, who is not a Baptist like we understand, the John the Baptizer, he's baptizing people in a river saying, something is coming, God is going to do something, and I, I want you to be looking, I want you to be aware, and John is in the river, and Jesus walks up, and he's able to say, there he is. There's the one, there's the one that is bringing the change that God has talked about. There's the one who's going to save us from this brokenness. And Jesus is baptized by John, and it says the Spirit descended on him. It's almost like a, it says the Spirit descended on him like a dove. Like there's picture of peace coming and landing on Jesus and his uh, the Spirit of God is all over Jesus in that moment. And Jesus doesn't enter ministry right after that. He actually goes out to the desert, to a low place in life, where Satan tempts him to use his own power, to use his own wherewithal, to use his own intellect. And time and time and time again, Jesus is able to point back to Scriptures and back to God 
saying, I'm, I'm going to trust in him and I'm going to lean on the spirit. And it's this ministry focus as Jesus begins. And as he starts his ministry, coming out of baptism and then the desert time, he goes home. He goes to where he grew up. And he goes to church. He goes to the synagogue, as was his practice. And this is where he kind of has his inaugural address. This is where he preaches his first sermon. And he's, this is where we get a picture of what Jesus is saying. This is what I've come to bring. In Luke 4, starting in verse 16, it says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I want to I break that down because so much of my life, I think I have glazed over it, over what he has said, like, oh, good, Jesus, Jesus is the Savior. He's going to bring the gospel. He's going to bring the good news. And if we can slow down and say, what, what is he actually saying here? Maybe we learn from that. Maybe we could mirror our lives and our ministry after that. So verse 16 says he goes home. Like, that's significant. And later on, they, they actually start questioning, wait, is this the guy that, is this Jesus? Like, we saw him grow up, and I'm not sure that the one that God has been waiting to send could have grown up right here in our midst, and I'm, I'm not sure about that. People know his story. But he went to church, he went to the synagogue, and they hand him the scroll. Whether he asked for Isaiah, or that was just kind of the scheduled reading of the day. We don't know. But when you read it, you get this impression that Jesus opens the scroll and he knows exactly where he's going. And he, he kind of combines these two different sections in Isaiah. The first one in Isaiah 61, the first two verses there. You can go back and read them. And like, uh, this is what Jesus is reading. And then the second from Isaiah 58, verse 6. And he says, I, I know what I want to do. And he opens up by reading, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And we have flashbacks to John the Baptist and this Spirit descending on Jesus. And it's happening in their midst. And then he goes out to the wilderness and now he's, now he's back here saying, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he says, I've come to proclaim good news to the poor. And Jesus has a message and he has an audience. His message is good news. And his audience is who? The poor. Good news to the poor. Now, in his day, the poor could be understood as those without money. But poor was uh, an even broader category. So, without money, struggling to survive in that way. But it also, it also could be stuff like education. 
or lack of education, your gender, and how that put you either in a, a position of privilege or a position of struggle and uh, poverty, family heritage, religious purity, vocation, economics. Poor uh, could mean all of these kinds of things in the bigger picture. And it, it meant low status. I've come to bring good news to people of low status. This poor had a holistic meaning. These were people who were pushed aside. Jesus said, I came for these people. And then he says, I came to proclaim liberty, liberty to captives, recovering of sight to the blind. He said, I, I set, to set at liberty those who are being oppressed. And we get this kind of uh, repetition of liberty that people who are oppressed, that people who are held captive would find freedom. He's, Jesus actually says he's come to bring liberty and freedom. And it's a contrast to Isaiah 58. In Isaiah 58 that Jesus is quoting here, God is actually challenging and reprimanding his people because the freedom that God wanted them to bring to others, they hadn't. He said, this is what I want from you. I want you to loose chains. I want you to set people free. I want you to be a people of liberty, bringing liberty, and you're not. And so Jesus stands up and he says, remember this? I'm bringing this. Where, where the people of God had failed to bring it, Jesus says, I'm going to fulfill it. There certainly is a spiritual reality going on here. Jesus is not just talking about a physical reality. Jesus is not just talking about a, uh, a here and now reality. Like, uh, in this world, there are the oppressed. And he's not just talking about this worldly oppression. He's talking about a spiritual oppression that has gotten a hold of our hearts. And he says, I want to set your hearts free. But I think we make the error far too much of making Jesus' words simply a spiritual message and not a physical, earthly message as well. That is to say, it certainly is a spiritual message, but I think it's not less than an earthly one. The spiritual message is not less than an earthly one. It's more. And so when Jesus says, I've come, I've come to see people set free, he's going back to the original picture this is how it was intended to be, and this is where it's headed, and, and I want you to experience it, and I want to bring it here. Jesus has good news for people who are captive and oppressed and poor. He came to change the hearts and the world that we live in. And then he goes to verse 19, and he says, I've come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That is, uh, God had set up the system that in, in a 50-year time span, people who had accrued debts, people who had actually to sell themselves as indentured slaves, indentured servants to say, I, I can't pay my debts, so I'll pay with work. Uh, God had set up a system that said, whether you've sold yourself or you've had to sell your family or you've had to sell your land, uh, you have debts. At the 50-year mark, those are all forgiven. Those are all wiped clean, and whatever people made uh, as income or benefit on your back, that gets wiped 
clean. And you don't have that debt anymore. Jesus read those words as if he was bringing those things. I want to bring a year of jubilee. And then he sat down. We have this image of somebody standing up to preach, and that's when they're most powerful, and that's when they're most emphatic, and then sits down and like, okay, now I'm done. Uh, In their culture, it was actually the opposite. Jesus would stand up to read, a rabbi would stand up to read, and when they sat, the teaching began. So people, it says, their eyes are fixed on him. What's he going to say? And his teaching is just very short. He said, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is, I'm, I'm the one. I'm the one that Isaiah was talking about. I'm the one that's going to bring these things, that's going to start a movement, that's going to uh, get us toward the end picture, out of the broken in-between. So this was the message of Jesus. Good news, liberty, sight, freedom. This is what he brought here. And for those of us who are following Jesus, for those of us who are following Jesus, who are called to be like him, who are sent by him, who are his witnesses, we should model our lives and our ministry after him. And we pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that we would actually be a part of that process, that we get to be his ambassadors and his messengers, that we are his witnesses, that we would see God at work, that we would see the heart of God, that we'd experience the heart of God, and we'd be able to tell about it, that we'd be able to work toward it, that we'd be able to share that with the world around us and where things are broken, that we would actually be agents of healing through God and through his spirit. One commentator writes just very succinctly and specifically, according to this passage, the church must care about the oppressed. According to this passage, the church must care about the oppressed. Not cast blame on the poor or the captive or the blind or the oppressed. Jesus calls us to care, to do something. Jesus brought good news to the poor by becoming poor himself. He brought liberty to the oppressed by becoming one of the oppressed. He got on people's level. The people who suffered, he got on their level. He became one who suffered so that he could bring comfort. And Jesus didn't bring good news to everyone. I want, I want you to rattle that around in your brain. If Jesus said, I've, I've come to bring good news to the poor, I've come to bring good news and liberty to the oppressed. Who is that not good news for? Anybody who's benefiting from them being poor or them being oppressed. So Jesus actually is bringing bad news to oppressors, right? If we flip the statement uh, on its head there, Jesus is bringing bad news to oppressors. Then This is not the way my kingdom works, and I'm going to break you. I'm going to break these chains. And if you have benefited from this, you will experience brokenness. And I hope you do, because then you can be included among the broken who I came for. But until until you give that up, then you're operating in a way that is um, it's at odds. It's an enemy. 
with my kingdom. Growing up, I learned one predominant story of our country. In America, the sky is the limit. You can do anything you set your sights to. You work hard and nothing can stop you. The American dream was there for me to grab. But the story that I heard over and over and over and over and over is not the story that everyone grows up with. And I didn't even recognize that. My eyes were not able to see that the story that I was growing up with in our wonderful land was not so wonderful, was pretty different. And we have all kinds of response to that. We can immediately say, whoa, 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 don't, 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 I hope you And it's good if we can diffuse the moment and say, maybe instead of just experiencing my story, maybe I need to start asking God, would you tell me, would you tell me other people's stories? Would you help me to understand what other people have experienced? Because I, like I went through history, but I never experienced, I never experienced the dark shadow parts of our country's history. You know what I mean? I know about racial division, but I've never experienced the pain of that. A number of years ago, I, I, um, I took... I went on a short-term mission trip over to Africa, to Senegal. It's the westernmost point uh, on the continent, and uh, it juts out just a little bit right there, the capital city of Dakar. You land in Dakar, and uh, I had the opportunity to visit Gore Island, which was a hub for the, the slave trade. And there's a museum right there on Gore Island that was a slave house. And you walk in, and it's actually beautiful from the entrance. And it's got these winding staircases that go up to a second level where the traders would be. Merchants and uh, traders and people doing business. And it was pretty nice. But then you can walk into the underground, the first level, and you walk into darkness. And you walk into stone cold, clammy rooms that are so small. And the guide talked about the number of people, the number of humans created in God's image who were crammed into these spaces so that they couldn't even sit down. And there's no light. I mean, there there are cracks in the stone and the walls are this thick and the men are separated over here into this area, and women are separated, and families are ripped apart, and the children went to a different area, and the weak who probably wouldn't make it to go to a different area and uh, die. And maybe, maybe, by chance of hope, you got like one little, one little glimpse of your family once you had been separated. And then... And then the whole place fills with light. Light comes flooding down a hallway, and a door has just opened. And they actually call the door the door of no return. It's this 
fake light comes streaming in and then they start moving people down this hallway to boardwalks onto a ship. And people had the option to walk across to the ship and never again see their home country or jump into the water. And sharks had come to know that that was a place that uh, was good for them. And it's like, how do we, how broken? And I didn't experience that. I didn't experience anything close to that. And my, uh, my ancestors didn't experience that. But as a human, I can say, I'm part of this, uh, and I don't know what to do about this. But if there's ever, if maybe the strongest point of my broken in-between realization, say this is what humans can do when we're trying to scrape uh, and, and do anything that we can to find an advantage. And if we have to put people down on our way to that, then we will, and our country has. Our country has a history of creating difference so that some can benefit and some are stripped of dignity and life. Our country has a history of generation after generation after generation after generation of family stories that were horrifically rewritten so that white America could thrive. And it was shocking to me to even learn and read about Abraham Lincoln, who is held up as a hero in the, the Emancipation Proclamation, that even, even Abraham Lincoln, say once slavery was done, even he said, I think our best option is to uh, send black people away. So they're not owned anymore and they're not slaves anymore, but we, they, but we can't do life together. We don't know what that looks like. We're not made, this country is not made to be together. It's made to be white. And maybe we should just send people to Caribbean islands, black people. And that, that was a serious consideration for Abraham Lincoln. If our, if, a man who is held up as a hero could be thinking that way. It reveals just how broken we are. That even in our best, we fall miserably short. We don't have a good history of life together. We don't even know how ugly it's been. So I see, I see news of a shooting, and I'm able to isolate that event all by itself while countless others watched that story unfold as just another page in the same story that has been told for years and years and years and years. I hear about somebody being pulled over, and I think, you must have done something wrong. Because I don't know any other story. In the three times that I've been pulled over for speeding or having a headlight out, all three times, I got a warning. Now, I'm polite, but there's more going on, right? 
there's more going on than that. That is not everybody's story. Maybe I need to hear a different story than the one that I've grown up with. Maybe we do. Maybe the first step that you and I need to take is to listen. We better do that before we try and fix anything. We need to listen. That I want to see what God is doing. And I want to see what God wants to do. So this is just the start of the conversation. We don't have all the answers. Dr. Perry is going to come next week. Dr. Dr. Perry has become um, a personal friend of mine and has agreed to mentor me, especially in this area of race relations and divide and hope toward unity and diversity. And I'm listening, I'll tell you what, I'm listening as much as I can. And I want us to do the same. I want us to listen. And when he comes next week, I want us to listen. Now, you'll, you'll recognize that Dr. Perry is not me. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Most profound thing said today. Yeah. <laughs> you'll recognize that Dr. Perry uh, brings a different style and brings a different culture, and it's good. And I want to give you a kind of a preemptive warning. From the culture that Dr. Perry is coming into, he expects more... Uh, call and response, okay? So if you hear something that Dr. Perry says that you agree with, it's all good to, to shout out an amen, to laugh at his jokes, even if you don't think they're funny, but, but as a way to engage, okay? But I, I want us to listen. Amen? Yeah. <laughs> and as we hear from God, I want us to be faithful to follow. To live on a gospel mission means that we must be active in bringing good news to the poor, bringing liberty to captives and the oppressed, and seeking healing in the here and now and toward what is to come. The gospel is both here and now and eternal. The eternal starts now. The gospel is not immediately good news to the rich, to captors, to oppressors, if we find ourselves, if we find ourselves in those positions, Jesus calls us to renounce them and give them up. So on this journey, we may actually find ourselves at some point like the rich young ruler who goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I want to follow you. And he says, good, you have this capital. I want you to give it up and then come follow me. And we may, on this journey, find that we are holding assets, that we are holding capital and currency that Jesus would say, you really want to follow me? Spend what you have to follow me. And, and maybe we don't hold on so tightly to the currency that we are holding. Gospel mission means that we stand up in opposition to oppression where and when we see it. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said this. He said, in a very real sense, all life is interrelated. All men are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny, 
whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be. And you can never be what you ought to be until I'm what I ought to be. This is the interrelated structure of reality. Can we engage? Can we open our ears? Can we humble ourselves to say, it's time to start listening to a different story. It's time to reacquaint ourselves with God's design, that is, diversity and equality, beauty in differentness, right? And that we would actually fight forces that are opposed to what he wants. I pray that you will continue to be unsettled. I pray uh, that you will continue to hear. I pray that you will experience a righteous anger at, at what is going on in our world when it is broken, that we wouldn't respond with indifference and just turn it off and say, Ugh, that's bad. And then that's all. That we have a, a kind of anger that says, this is not how it should be. I'm going to engage. I pray that God would give us tears to cry, to connect with people. That we wouldn't, that we would, that we would seek to be a human together and get on a, get a personal level with one another. I pray that God would instill in us to say, if the system is broken, and it is, what can we do? Would God give us enough foolishness to think that we might actually be able to follow him, that we might actually be able to live life as he designed and bring that to other people as well? Let's pray. Um, we're going to move into a time of worship. Because I think no matter where we are, worship is always an appropriate response. <coughs> worship doesn't have to be fun. Worship doesn't have to be light. Worship calls God's name. And so even in our brokenness sometimes, we say, God, I'm broken and yet you are whole. God, this is where I'm at and I'm struggling, and yet you are a picture of what um, healthy looks like. We're going to take communion, and communion is this uh, symbolic representation. You say, Jesus came and he said, I'm giving myself for you. I became poor, I became oppressed, and killed for you. You take the little cracker, it is a representation of him, what he gave, what he sacrificed to free us. You take the little cup, it's a, it's a symbol of the life that he offers to us and then also through us. And I want you to take time to reflect on that. And as we engage in worship, in song, then I, I want you to engage. In a broken world, we still worship a God who is leading us toward the end of things in wholeness. And we'll worship him there. Let's pray.
Father, we need to engage. They don't even know exactly how that works. I pray that you would help us here.